Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Lyft. Claim your $500 new driver bonus by going to Lyft.com slash badchristian. That's Lyft.com slash badchristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Knock it out, guys. Three, three, two, two, one, 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 one. It's Bad Christian podcast yes joey's keyed up today i like it he's feeling better he's been depressed in weeks past it's led to arguments it's led to sadness but he has pulled through he is rocking and rolling joey glad you it's with because us. the holy spirit has given me so many downloads like the holy spirit has been downloading so many things into my spirit Oh. I've had to get like an external hard drive mm. for this shit. <laughs> wow. Back up. Like, like there's it. been pastors that have been a- unpacking stuff with me, and I yes. have been tracking with them. I have, Don't wow. say unpacking. In that analogy, you want to go unzipped the fi- like a file. Yeah, for sure. You've I mean, downloaded hey, and unzipped a lot. There were times when I was talking to a pastor, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was trying to download something into me, but he just couldn't land it. it was, but he finally yeah. landed it, and I just sat there dumbfounded like, no way the Holy Spirit just downloaded more shit into my brain. Do y'all ever it's do a speedtest.net to see your internet speed? Now, this, is a, this is a biblical analogy, or it's an it's a analogy to a spiritual life, but I'm always so frustrated by the fact that my download speed is high, but my upload speed is low. And I know that oh, God wow, can God. download mm. stuff to me just so quickly. Oh, hallelujah. On my end, going yeah. back his way, it's just a bottleneck. I, mean, I, tell I, you what, I barely get three megabits per second upload to, to God from where I'm sitting. I've <laughs> upgraded to the cloud. The Heavenly oh. Father. You I'm just up leave in, your prayer up in the cloud. Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. Unlimited blessing. No, instead of uploading and download fly, files, you just keep those prayers oh. unspoken and up in the cloud. And oh, they're go. always yeah. up there. That's always good. circulating. <laughs> At, uh, open source, accessible to anybody. Oh, praise right? the Lord. You don't even Hallelujah. password protect that shit, do you? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. The Holy you know Spirit is my protection. I went to a uh, very small church in the past few months uh, out in the country, and uh, the pastor talked about pixels, and that was like his big thing, like his big <laughs> moment. To talk, and I was like, oh, okay. Like You're going to see more and more references to technology oh, yeah. and all kinds of, you know, like it's already happening, but you really are going to see it more and more, like whatever technological things happening, whatever thing in, you know, what, what you know, they'll refer to self-driving cars and they'll relate that to Jesus, take oh, the wheel yeah. and stuff like, oh, I mean, it's going to happen nonstop now. Cause they, they think, I think pastors think if we say things like that, even if we don't know about it that much, it'll make us seem relevant. like we're cool right. and relevant and we're smart, but also we know it Jesus. It won't be Jesus the take the wheel, it'll Jesus take command of my GPS auto navigation system. Right. Right. <laughs> I got it. The uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's funny. The uh, here's what I want to start with today. I want to tell you an experience I had dropping Georgia off at school that confirmed some Ooh. shit that I've been worried about uh, in life. Something made me disgusted, but it happened. I dropped Georgia off at school, and she 
it's just four-year-olds now, and there's this four-year-old boy in there um, when I went to go drop her off, and he was had a book. He was playing by himself near the front door where I dropped her off. I just happened to see him and notice because I thought it was cool and cute when I saw it. He had a book. It was like Outer Space Book or something cool like that. And he had an Earth. It was a big picture of an Earth. And he had a toy car. And he was ramming the toy car like into the book, kind of. Nothing even crazy. And making explosion sounds and going, Earth, smash something. I mean, I don't know what he said. He was he was said Earth and he was smashing stuff just privately, very quietly, probably about this loud, like Earth, smash. Just doing stuff like that. A, yeah. This was just for one second. A teacher comes up to him and looks at him in the eyes and puts a really shame, shame based frowny face on her face and looks at him and goes, Bodie, aggressive, no, to the boy. <laughs> and I, my heart sank out of my life. I could, I mean, I just cannot. That is so. And that she probably didn't mean, I don't think that's their policy or it's a bad school or anything, but. That devastates me to think that that's what you would tell a boy. Oh, like, can't, you can't make an explosion 100%. sound or like this is oh, not good. This is not good. I mean, I, I don't think she. I don't think this is a big deal. It's just what naturally occurred to her impulse wise, and it's just yeah. one person, one teacher, and she's probably twenty six years old, whatever. But that sentiment is out there that that is bad. That you can't do I that. Know. That you shouldn't it, it, do that. That's just not true. Oh God, it's not true. And how oh. about this? The thing that really gets me about that is where you live. I'm going to go out on a limb here. If you would have said, if you would have talked and said, hey, I don't think that's right, she would have heard your voice and the way you talk oh, and yeah. stereotyped I you. Would have been, been, oh, of course, exactly. of course you want violence. Right. The I way know. Matt Carter looks. And, I mean, right now you can't, I mean, you are a Southern redneck sounding white male. And if you said, let that, let that little boy smash stuff, get, she would have kicked well, you if out it was, of okay, classroom. I know, but I'm telling you. She would have felt so bad for Georgia. Listen, and I'm, I'm being serious here and you can make of this what you want. I don't know another way to think of it but i'm telling you the god's honest truth i am glad i don't have a boy i may get one but i feel bad for anybody that does have a boy i i'm not i do i just i don't think it's good i don't think it's better i think they're gonna be in trouble this is not gonna like if that is the what's put on a on this male kid and that's prevalent and accelerates that is gonna destroy them it's not right. good. It, it, like no, that's it already has. That's man. like repressing the has, whole yeah. nature of something that you are and expecting it to come out right on the other end. I get that as a society we don't want violence. Okay. But yeah. to to what that is is not that is not that is crazy. And also, I mean, if it would have been my son, I would I don't know what I'd have done. It just ha- happened to not be my kid. Right. But you know, I really am glad I have daughters, and I'm telling you 100%. I'm starting to think that, I mean, I don't know how, what category that puts me in, but I mean it when I say you're better off to be a female today, not worse off. You're better off. I'm not calling for, I'm not saying I'm oppressed. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying in the general climate with no, with no, you know, it's not a conspiracy. There's nothing to it. It just happens to be the way things are. It's going to be difficult to be a, a male in the future like if i had to have my choice right now of a male child or a female child the female child is better suited for the future i believe at a hundred percent i don't think since i have a girl she's gonna i'm I'm worried about the fucking wage gap and that stuff that's not a problem hey hey, hey, watch the language do you know what i mean like i I just i really think you're better if you had the choice you're better off with a female to be a female going forward and that's not because i'm worried about how men are going to be treated and like 
I'm not claiming so. You know what I mean? Whatever the. I, well, I'm worried know. of a uh, of a uh, what what is it called? Like uh, not a flip flop, but uh, when it's pendulum the, when swing. The pendulum swings the other way. Uh, I'm I'm worried about that. Like I I think it's a great time to be anybody yes, in the world. I, agree I really with that too. I actually kind of I kind of do. Think <laughs> That's that. true. You're like right. Like in the history that. of the world, in it, the history of the world, it's not a great like time to be. It's not a great time to be alive. I like how Toby says it. It's a great time to be anybody. It is. I <laughs> yeah, agree with that well, too. I mean, well, there's really is a chance for anybody in the world to uh, be famous tomorrow or make some kind of crazy money tomorrow or get out of their situation tomorrow. Now, of course, there's still poverty and sexism and all that stuff. And Matt, your your wife tweeted uh, she's at some conference for women today and she hearing some of the stories about how women are treated in the uh, workforce was shocking to her or, or you know, kind of made her a little bit affected or sad, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff's real. Don't so, hear me right, deny right, that. Right. No, I know you're not. I know you're not. So, But what, I, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm concerned when I hear that. Okay, two things pop into my head. One, uh, having Joey got and I both got our degrees in elementary education and know it like what like you got to see that one moment. What if the entire mm. uh, you know semester so far that kid he smashes stuff and then goes and attacks the teacher and the other kids and he's like, hey, oh yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I mean? Like so, that could have been that. I'm just making a joke there, but I dislike the idea that aggressiveness in immediately implies that you will be bad and awful and it will be a bad thing. Aggressiveness does not equal violence necessarily. Okay. Right. That that aggressiveness can be okay. And is okay. One hundred percent. Yes. And women and all types of people have aggressiveness and it can work. Now you have to wrangle it it in. Hold on a second. I want to track with you guys too here. Um so would you say a good comparison is a silly dog that runs at you full speed to try to lick you and everything, but it's not being I violent? I would have talked about a human. Dog. I would have talked about a human, but yeah. yeah. It's something, yeah, like, like how about, let me give you a different one if it'll help more. How about a uh, young lady who's 22 years old who's uh, studying to be a trial lawyer and she is aggressive and she's a go-getter and she's kicking ass and she has a lot of drive and on the playground she's intense but does not make her a violent person but she is aggressively seeking what she wants or how about somebody that's aggressive there's tons i mean aggressive music is good it's not inherently bad it's i mean right like an aggressive doesn't mean heavy but it's just you know drive motor intensity aggression aggression is not violence you got to you got to be careful there you can't just say i'm tracking violence is aggressive so anything that's aggressive is violent you cannot do that you cannot think that way and it diminishes us as people like one of the things i, I that worries me a lot too now is that we are getting uh, the idea of touch and the tactile interaction we have with each other as humans is being uh diminished and maybe eventually even taken away like that's dangerous like if you put your hand on somebody or you do something or whatever you see it i see it mostly in sports mm-hmm. how they are taking away certain things about sports and making it more and more bland and more and more beige and it's like wait a minute hold on this is what we all say like it, it doesn't all have to be this way I agree, yeah. and, and then it's going to happen in the it's happening in the real world it's a real world consequence and that's where or it's happening everywhere and so but back to my point i'm wondering are you going to see that to where the reaction is somebody like Matt Carter, who I would say I wouldn't describe you as aggressive. I, I, I not, not in the uh, old sense of aggressive. I, I think you are you know, competitive in a way that you wouldn't no, even competitive think. I'm not, like, but I am intense I, no, no, but and aggressive not, I think on what I'm doing no, at the moment. You, you always, you, you always push back on the word competitive, but I think you are like, you love to argue and go against somebody mm-hmm. and really, really care in a Michael Jordan way of proving your point. 
And you're want, okay if you lose. Okay. You're okay if you lose. You're not. You're not. You don't care about the outcome, the ending. If you end up learning something, you're okay with that. But you definitely will talk about you know a, a, a metal baseball bat compared to a wooden baseball bat for five hours and yeah, not give a shit to. about it. But you got to go after. I can hold either there. side of the argument. I usually don't. One hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. About. So the thing is, that is a competitive nature you have, or yeah. what you have in business, or whatever. Um, but what I'm saying is that. To that one thing sets you off. So what's going to happen with somebody that is more aggressive? Well, then they're going to say, "No, fuck that teacher, son. You don't. You, you know you you smash whenever, and I got your back. And it might go. It might, <laughs> the pendulum might swing back worse because well, you're going to get somebody yeah. that is potentially uh, negative and po- possibly violent or whatever. And you're going to see that. And that is why I think stuff like white nationalists mm-hmm, and, Trump and, and all that. That even, even on the Antifa side or whatever it might be, people are like, "Fuck it. If Trump can be this way, well, I can be violent in my own way. Well, I or I can be angry or, or I find pushing myself going like when somebody says something relatively ignorant that sounds a little bit like they are uninformed about something and they get attacked super hard for it it makes me yeah. want to go god fuck that i i'm i'd rather be with the trump people than these assholes sometimes and i i hate <laughs> trump and i hate white now i hate all those things i'm not saying i'm gonna join right. all right but sometimes i'm like golly y'all are gonna be that way about this i told and i you know, I I get I get why you all, I get when right. you feel attacked, you just want to push back, so you just grab whatever weapon you can find. And for some people, that's going to be <laughs> voting for Trump or or white nationalism or some nonsense. But it's crazy. I mean, it's yeah. not good. It's not a good situation out there. But I do. I have two daughters, and if I have another kid, I'd rather it be a daughter. She'll be better off. And so I don't know what that means about everybody else is out there saying how bad it is to be a woman and we got to do all this stuff. Well, I'm telling you, I have daughters. I ain't worried about them. I'm excited for them. They're going to be fine. They also happen to be yeah. a mixed race. I'm not worried about that. They're going to be well, fine. I, well, I have a son, and I'd like to say something about that right after I tell you guys about Lyft. And uh, Lyft knows that their drivers are what keep them moving. So they do everything they can to make sure their drivers are happy on every trip. And I, I, I always use Lyft. I just think it's the best. Uh, I love the drivers. I think they're really great. The, they always work with me. Like uh, I actually messed up my ride the other day, and the driver was so kind. Like I accidentally hit a button and messed up and went did the. It was I was putting my phone in my pocket, messed up the ride as I was in there. No worries, no problem at all. Let's see, we'll figure this out. And, it, and there was no like anger. I felt like man they. Lyft drivers love their job and are kind and nice, and I really enjoyed the ride, which is about 25, 30 minutes from my house. Uh, And they have a simple formula. Happy drivers mean happy passengers, and that is true. That is true for me. Maybe that's why 9 out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect 5-star rating. You can earn hundreds of dollars a week plus tips, folks. If you want to be a driver, I highly recommend it. Want to earn more money? Drive more. It's never been easier to give yourself a raise. Lyft was the first rideshare platform with tipping built right into the app, which I love, because getting tipped shouldn't depend on your passenger having a crumpled bill in their pocket, which I do not carry cash. You keep 100% of the tips, and they add up fast. Drivers have been paid over $200 million since the feature was first introduced, and Express Pay lets you get paid almost instantly instead of having to wait for weeks. Lyft has even taken the guesswork out of pickups. The new AMP device uses is color coding to help passengers find their driver. So listen up. Join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better. Go to Lyft, that's L-Y-F, 
T.com slash bad Christian today, and you can get $500, a $500 new driver bonus. That's Lyft. Let me say it one more time. L-Y-F-T.com slash bad Christian. Lyft.com slash bad Christian. Limited time only and terms apply. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's what I was going to say about having a son. I, my, uh, we had a daughter first and she was amazing and I love her still. <laughs> we have two daughters. I love the little one as well. But having Ike, our middle as a boy, it wrecks you and changes you and exhausts you and it shows you how different hormones and cells and uh, bodies and everything, just brains, all the stuff. Like he couldn't almost, I mean, he couldn't be more similar and more different than the other, his two sisters. I mean, it's wild. I mean, sometimes, and, and there are sometimes, like we've talked about this in the past, where he just can't understand anything. I, I mean, I can look him in the eye and say, <laughs> go. Go put your shoes in the closet, and he can't do it. Like it's just he's just so wild or crazy or wherever he's at. And like I have to realize it actually helps me to go. Wait a minute, there's a communication problem here. My son loves me. He does respect me. I do love him and respect him. So for Jess and I, we have to work on ourselves because he is a boy. Uh-huh. That is true. Like of course we have to do that with our girls, but our girls are sweet and they are uh, more gentle and affected in different ways than he is. And they both they all are amazing. But I really do believe having a boy like it really changed our worldview about raising kids. Like if we'd have just had girls, I think it probably would have been way easier yeah. and more yeah. fun in a lot of ways. But because we had Ike, there's things that I didn't even expect. There's ways that he is and and does. Even the stuff that I would say could be annoying or bad are awesome and are helping me become a better person, which mm-hmm. is crazy. I would never thought some little six-year-old knucklehead could make me try harder and do better, but I'm learning weaknesses about myself. You're pissing off feminists right now, right? I, I, I am curious. Like, what you're about saying what? is... No, I'm with them. I'm saying f- feminists. You, I'm no. with you. I'm saying males are outdated. They're, we're no we're outdated. We're moving on. Mm-mm. I'm saying that you win. What what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is Toby is saying we had a boy mm-hmm. game changer. Right. Wouldn't a feminist say, well, you could have had just a unique, different kind of girl and same thing. Well, you I know? don't know who feminists are, but the, you know, Toby, you're wrong about all that. It's just the culture and like the stuff in the in the videos he's seen that make him like trucks and be crazy. Well, it's well, not, it's well, not people, him. It's nothing biological. People there. want to say that it doesn't matter and that maybe I'm influencing this, him because right, he's a right. boy. I'm telling you, everybody knows boys that's and nonsense boys and girls are different. Boys and girls are different, and that's fucking okay. It is. I am one hundred percent, one hundred percent solid. Now, I'm not pushing them in any way that isn't loving or trying to push them in a way that I think. Like, I want my kids. I was, I was having this conversation the other day. I really want my kids to experience what they want to experience and not put any uh, limitations on it or uh, connotations that something's good or bad, like a color pink. I don't want to. I don't want to influence my right. kids that that it means anything or anything like that. So I want my kids to experience this world and do a bunch of stuff. But for sure, boys and girls are different, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. I just believe it, 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 it. Whether you believe in God or not, if you believe we're just here through evolution on stuff, well, evolution got us to where boys and girls are different. If you believe in God, well, did, God got us to where boys the and girls same, are different. The same bad thing with the black widow spiders. I mean, I can't believe it, but it did. You know, the women right. are one way, the men are another way. I mean, that's it, it's, it but, happened yeah, yes, that way. Yes. They were designed that way, right. whatever it is, but it can happen. But 100%. <laughs> right. So Ike can play really hard with me, and he cannot play that hard with his sisters or whatever. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like I can, I could wrestle Joey right now and it would look crazy and we'd both be okay. If I wrestle my wife the way I wrestled Joey, that's just a, just a natural 
uh, evolutionary thing where I'm just naturally stronger. I have to realize certain things about my body. And if that's my, if my body can do that, if my body can be, uh, stronger than a person that I love and I need to control that and not, not, uh, you know, uh, shake Jess's mm-hmm. hand too hard or hug her too hard or whatever, then there's other things that are going to be different that I need to be aware of. And there's other things that are stronger about women than me. And Jess has to pull back and, right. and, and not, it's not, I'm not just diminishing this just to pure strength, but I'm just saying there's a shitload of stuff. And so I fully disagree with you. I think boys are super important. <laughs> and, and what I'm thinking more and more is what you're going to see is I'm hoping a more, leveled uh relaxed male that is uh, has more confidence because a lot of this stuff you're right yeah, that's what no, i don't, what I'm saying what I don't you, like if about you don't that. acknowledge the what hey, people are actually like for true man by the way no i'm no, just saying if you don't acknowledge what what the biology that's there i'm not saying we can craft whatever society we want we can craft a non-violent society and i'm all in favor of that of course i'm not saying let biology dictate how we want our society to go however you are a fool if you don't acknowledge the biology and then figure out how to integrate it with the society that we want so you your son, for instance, may like pink. He may be- decide to be transgender one day. That's, in my view, totally fine. But you don't want to guide that, and you do want to acknowledge whatever he is as he is being it, and not force it or deny it or not be aware of it. Same as you wouldn't, you wouldn't, right. you know, you, you need to not make any bad assumptions around a dangerous animal or whatever it is. You have to acknowledge the biology so that you can figure out how to manage it, integrate it, not repress it, suppress it, and shame it. You cannot do that. You cannot shame 100%. That, that's the problem. And then we can craft society however we want, but we must acknowledge what things are, the reality, so that we can move into right. making the society we want, where men don't drag women yeah. by their hair. And, oh, for sure. And, uh, whatever. Of course, I'm not justifying anything. Yeah, it's, yes, that, it's that really, is the it's, goal for, for everybody. It's such a crazy perspective to see my sons, for instance, and I'm, I'm using them because I, I'm, I'm a dude and just seeing how innocent their sexuality is. And I know that sounds like a really crazy observation, but it's just like they are over time going to develop into young men, but they already have parts of their sexuality built into them. Mm-hmm. And you're just looking at them and you're just like, like I think about when I was 13 years old and just how much guilt and shame I felt a, about lust and masturbating and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And 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 I think that there's a, a, a way to approach that without going overboard, but definitely leave the guilt and condemnation out to the point where I'm not even sure how early we should teach spiritual truths to our kids. Like, initially when I was a parent, I was just like, no, the earlier, the better. Once they're able to hear the English language, they need to be hearing about Jesus and sin and heaven and hell and all that stuff. And it's just like, that's too, isn't there too young to hear spiritual truths? I imagine. I mean, I don't know the the counter argument, but did you write down on your paper what you wanted to talk about today? And Toby, am I right about this? What does Joey always wants to talk about death and kids and sex? Is that his thing? 100%. 100%. Yeah, so he must have written down on his kid yeah. on the note card for today kids, sexuality, basically. That was all he yeah. wrote down, and then it popped up. Yeah. I, we, Jess and I have to, uh, I, I feel the same way about Ike. Uh, like our kids will still shower together, and everything's totally cool. And, and, uh, Ike sometimes will get out and shake his booty and his wiener around and because he has a wiener. Can he do the cyclone at all? Can he do the cyclone yet? I'm not going to go into details. I won't go into details. It it is amazing. Everybody knows the goal is to do a windmill. 
Right. You know, that is super interesting, though, that Ruby, you know, so Ruby's eight, right? Didn't she turn eight yep. in October? That is really, so So they still do baths together and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, we do showers and baths. That's, yeah. uh, I, I would, I, I think it'd be so neat to scientifically observe the differences of, like, Ruby, for instance, and Gwenny, because we shut that down way earlier, which... Could be harmful, but could be. That's interesting. So does she does she talk about Ike's penis? Like, because that's a very normal thing for her. Like, vaginas were not normal for me when I was eight. No, that's like, what I was I getting ready did. to say. That, that's what I'm saying. That Ike flops his wiener around a little bit, and everybody dies laughing, and it's, there is no sexual connotation with it. or con- <laughs> It's not in any kind of sexual context, or, <laughs> oh my brother's her. wiener's out. Like, it's go- it'll happen at some point, because our culture will say that, and it's really dangerous for a boy's wiener to be out. It, you know what I mean? Like, it's because it, it, nobody, I mean, at, right now, nobody has boobs, but all, all of them have boobs, but at some point, boobs will change, and then if my daughter's boobs are out, then that'll be really negative or bad, or what does that mean about her? Is she this way? Is she that? All these things are coming just because a couple of body parts we're talking about a few body parts here and what i'm saying is all that stuff shouldn't matter but we all head that way and do this the same way as that teacher at matt's daughter's school goes wait hit hitting stuff aggressive that means it's bad and this will be bad the same way as yeah. we go away you can't flop your wiener around because that is sexist uh, or or you you know guys mm-hmm. flop their wieners around to demean women but my son isn't doing that he's yeah. doing it to be goofy and get his sisters <laughs> to laugh it's just his uh, an appendage on his body that he can flop around and make it make everybody laugh. It's that we it's have not, built into humans to to use shame. Like we, there's a reason we yeah. scapegoat. There's a reason we call people other. There's a reason we separate people by race or nationality. It's it's built into us to yeah. do those things. We use shame forever to speak about sexuality to children, teenagers, whatever, because it's it's the only way we know how to try to control people. But we know now that the shame based approach of sexuality for teenagers has probably been harmful. And so all I'm saying is you also, now we've got, we're just built that way. It's like a religious, superstitious, evolutionary thing. So now we're, we're not going to do that anymore. But I see us directing our shame-based behavior at things that are like, uh-oh, we're scared of masculinity. So we better start to put some shame around it. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon. Right. You have to make sure not yeah. to do it yeah. because it happens naturally because we have a bunch of problems 100%. from male aggression. So it makes a little bit of sense why we do it. But I'm just saying, yes. wake up, let's not overdo and, it yeah, like we and did there with is male aggression. for the last yes. hundred years. There is male aggr- aggression. Men have done a shitty job of the way we've treated uh, other people and and women and other races. Uh, it, it, men have been dominant and abusive and have gotten a bad name. I we should take responsibility for that. I agree. I don't think that the way to fix it though, w- just like anything else, <laughs> okay. is just say it's bad. Don't do that. I like, mean, the, how, the look of disappointment kid, on the lady's t- but hold face. On, was if that hard. little kid, if that little kid actually really is has a problem with aggression, you don't fix it by going, "Don't do that," and making a what? sad, I mean, shameful face like you're disgusted oh, with him. You can't, you can't right. do that to a four year old like one hundred percent. You can't do it to anybody. Yeah. But for some reason, we feel like that's the way. Hey, you drink too much. Don't drink too much. I'm don't smoke of you. cigarettes. Yeah. Don't you're have a sex. Bad person. 
Don't spend your money that yep. way. Do that. No, that that does not work. And that's what uh, the sad part about it. Now we're here now, but it, I mean that's exactly what social media is. That's all anybody says. You're this. Don't do it. I'm so devastated bad. that I grew up in a, a conservative culture that shamed everything, and then became more progressive and liberal, only to find out they're getting real big on that bandwagon of trying to call people oh, bad people and shame them. It's really depressing. And anywhere you turn, I that's know. what we, that's what I encounter. Anyway. Rant. Over. It's horrific. I'm gonna take a deep it's breath. Horrific. We have a good guest coming on that will make us feel better. Um, his name is Chris Stroop, and I've got him on Skype here. So, Joey, you want to do a little business, and I'll get Chris on, and we'll get to another mode of conversation here. You know, I just did a wedding the other day, and I have to say, I looked a little snazzy. And when the sound guy was putting the little lapel microphone on the inside of my jacket my suit jacket he said man i really love the interior because it's like this real uh jive sort of flowery really flashy sort of interior because i thought that was pretty cool and uh he was like yeah i really like that then i showed him on the inside my inside pocket it said clemson tigers kick gamecock ass and i showed him that too he got a little chuckle out of it but most importantly about this jacket is on the outside, it is very modern, um, very stylish, uh, feels very good on me, makes me look kind of good. I'll just have to admit that. But most importantly, it did not cost a lot of money and it was made exactly, specifically for me. Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. They've suited up hundreds of thousands of men, and they're the largest made-to-measure brand in the world. Uh, Here's how it works. You can visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, choose your customization, submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in a few weeks. So, uh, Bad Christian listeners, this is if, if you need to buy a suit, Go buy a suit. It helps us out. It helps Indochino out. It it it's just a win win all together. So we're offering you the best deal ever at three hundred and fifty nine dollars. You can buy a premium suit when you enter Bad Christian during checkout. That's fifty percent off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit. The shipping's free. So go to Indochino.com promo code Bad Christian for any premium suit. Just three fifty nine and free shipping. An incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. All right, so we're here. We're here with Chris Stroop. Did I say that correctly? Uh, yes, you did. You know what's crazy is I, I was taking a look at a lot of the stuff that you've been writing and putting out there and everything. Uh-oh. And no, seriously, like we have we have just recently been discussing a lot about what we should call ourselves and not me matt and toby but the church as a whole and we've stumbled on or matt has thought it through and he said what do y'all think about post-christian and we all agreed that's the best that we got right now what do you think about that terminology well we've been kicking around this is right up your alley too we've just been kicking around terminology because this obviously we have an emerging movement that's like at first we just thought oh we're weird and then we realized oh wait other people are weird and then we realized wait wait this is this is a thing. I mean, everybody's yeah. having the same realizations about Christianity forever, but they hadn't had a place or ability to connect with other people and talk about them. Now we got some shit on our hands here, and then what do we call it? How do we engage? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how particularly the election of Donald Trump in 2016, backed by majorities of all white Christian groups in the United States, but especially white evangelical Protestants at 81%, has really precipitated a crisis. I mean, it's it's not the first time, but I think maybe it's the first time that we're seeing it on this scale, um, or it's, anyway, it's kind of new incarnation of... Now, at some um, point, I'm going to want to circle back and know why you call it a crisis. I love that, but I want to hear more <laughs> about it. Okay, sure. So, you know, I mean, I think that for a lot of people, and I've heard from a number of different kinds of people that this was kind of it for them with evangelicalism. Um, and so, you know, you've got some people dropping the term. Uh, I don't know if you saw that Guardian article mm-hmm. that came out by Josiah Hesse the other day. Um, I would kind of distinguish between people who just want to drop the term uh, evangelical while basically keeping all the same sort of beliefs and bi- biblical inerrancy and that sort of thing. Um, and those who are really more thoroughly sort of thinking through, well, maybe some of the toxicity is related to some of this theology, to this emphasis on conversionism and inerrancy. Um, so it's certainly interesting to see. I mean, we have this evangelical group on Facebook, and it's a mix of people who still identify as Christians, progressive Christians of some sort, people who are atheists and agnostics, some people who have become pagans or Buddhists. And we're kind of all identifying around this term of ex-evangelical because that particular term, um, it, it, it points to a link in our kind of common sociocultural heritage, which is what Blake Chastain likes to call it, that we all came out of this evangelical Protestant uh, tradition which sure has a diversity of, of, of sort of um, expressions of it. But there are a lot of things that we all have in common, whether we come from a Baptist background or a Pentecostal or the megachurch movement. Or let, me read this. let me read this, because these are your words, and I just thought it was awesome. Uh, you said that ex-evangelicals are not rebranded Christians. Many of us are not Christians at all. We are a group that consists of progressive Christians, people who have joined other religions, agnostics, atheists, some of whom are quite vocal as atheists. And that's something that we have seen. And, and it's, it's We were so talking crazy. about that yet. One, me and Joe were talking about that two days ago. Like we more yeah, identify. Just, sorry, Joey, I didn't mean to step on you here, but now well, I'm rolling. Once, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm saying we, what, no, to, I want you to finish that. But that's what we were just saying. If you put a face, all the faces together of who we identify with most closely, they will not be all of the same spiritual side at whatsoever mm-hmm. like our movement right. is like feels to me like it includes us and shane claiborne and dave bazan i mean it's just mm-hmm. that's who that's who we are but some of those people that's, are christian and, and pastors and some are reject christianity and that's what's so right that's what's so interesting to me is there's a lot of de-churched atheists that still keep up with us that are in the bc club which means they financially support us because it's it's something for them to support being ex-evangelical and getting out of that shit, I guess, because mm-hmm. they're certainly not wanting to be a part of like Jesus's kingdom and and that sort of thing. But that's just, it's sure. crazy to see that. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting. And I think to me, it's really positive that there is an emerging community uh, of people who are identifying in, in different ways, coming in many cases out of the evangelical background or maybe other kinds of conservatism or uh fundamentalism as well, I mean, including maybe out of Catholicism, Mormonism, but people who are recognizing that, you know, we, we thought our religion, our churches stood for certain values that we no longer see in something like Donald Trump. And some people want to pick up on, well, I think, you know, it's more authentic to Jesus to do Christianity this way, but that's why I don't want anything to do with evangelicalism anymore. Or for someone like me, I, I think 
it's kind of artificial if you take a step back and you and you examine things through a sociological and historical lens to say that um, you know more fundamentalist evangelicals are so-called fake Christians. Uh, in other words, Christianity can take on different kinds of expressions, and I'm personally ambivalent about Jesus. I like the the more radical things that a lot of people embrace about him, you know, tearing down social barriers, that sort of thing. Um, but I also see some of the more authoritarian things that he said, like, you know, anyone who does not hate his mother and brother cannot follow me, and smacks a little bit of cult leader there. So I think it's a mix, you know. But the, the, this, this group coming together, I think it's positive that those of us who land in religion, those of us who land outside mm-hmm. religion can relate to each other. Um, and sometimes there are tensions there, but it's good, I think, to try to build those bridges because we have something important to say. I think we can help each other heal. We can help each other build some kind of new communities. And we have something important to say to American society. I mean, the whole reason that I kind of blew up and became a public figure right after the election in 2016 uh, is because I happened to have this very weird combination of knowledge and life experience. I am um, an expert in Russian history, modern Russian history, who spent 2012 through 2015 working in Moscow in a Russian university, and I've been studying and writing journalism and commentary about connections between the Christian right and the Russian Orthodox Church and Russian politicians. So I had that oh going on. And then I also come from the Christian so right. you're kind I of a nerd, man. Right. You're, oh, I'm totally you're, a nerd. So, you're a I know, so I know the Christian <laughs> right. I mean, you kind of don't really get a PhD without being a nerd. But right. So I, knew, I, like, I know these two things and the connections between them, and all of a sudden I was getting a lot of attention. I think that the ex-evangelical community can really explain important things about mm-hmm. Christian right politics, even though some of us have been kind of blindsided by how far it's gone. And you... you- you also see the election as like uh, almost like the tipping scales in which that's when Christians were like, "Oh shit, yeah. I am not that." Like that that's that's when it hit the fan, right? Uh yeah, I think that that's um a moment that we can kind of look at as a watershed where the crisis was precipitated for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, I don't have any data to give you, but anecdotally, say in that evangelical group which has over a thousand members at this point. I've seen a lot of people saying that, that that was it for them. They were questioning, they were maybe on their way out, or they were kind of staying in but uncomfortable with some things, and all of a sudden their communities were all in for Donald Trump, and they were they said that's it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that among both white members of this group and also people of color who, uh, in many cases, in most cases, were attending predominantly white churches or churches that are more in a kind of conservative style of white evangelicalism. And and they're done, too, because, you know, the white people in their churches were simply not listening to them about race and the racism that is inherent in supporting Donald Trump. So is, I mean, it, is, it, is the idea here that, like, you, like you, you wrote, like, that Trump kind of galvanized the ex-evangelical. Is it because for the first time, I mean, it, obviously it's felt like forever that, Church and politics, uh, especially the red states and the you know the Republican side, the right wingers, church and, and and that were linked. Is it is it because everybody's like, wait a minute, this candidate, like our church, we have to, we actually are supporting this guy. We're turning a blind eye. Did it did it make everybody go for the first time? Like, wait a minute, we really are. We are we a church for Jesus or politics? Yeah, are we about agenda? Is that is that why is that what you mean by galvanize the ex evangelicals? Yeah, I would say so. I think I think it really did that for a lot of people. And that also, another aspect of this is many people were just really um, concerned that Donald Trump is um, a, a threat to a lot of things that, that we hold dear. 
um, to rights and healthcare and racial equality and social justice and things like that. Um, I do, I do think we're seeing more of a, we're seeing a stronger reaction than we would have if it had been, for example, Ted Cruz, who to me, to my mind is at least as dangerous, but because he's, he's good at coming off as more of a church boy, you yeah. know, it, it wouldn't have had the same impact, I don't think. I think he's more uh, moralistic. It's had an impact on the wider public as well. The, the, the wider public has been asking this question in so many think pieces, how can so many Christians support Donald Trump? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of those think pieces are not very well informed. They could, they could get a better understanding by listening to people who come out of those traditions. Um, but they were just really confused. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a crisis in um, Christianity among American Christians who don't want to be associated with supporting Donald Trump. And um, the crisis is kind of outside of it as well. So how can the Christian right uh, support this guy who's on tape bragging about grabbing women by the pussy? Mm-hmm. I, think, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane because we, we, we're not that far removed from 1992 when the Christians were saying, I can't believe we have someone this immoral in the White House. I mean, that's <laughs> we're talking 24 years ago. A lot of these people, I, I, I was living then, and I had a youth pastor that tell me that his eyes were like snakes, and he was serious. He's just like, I think he has like snake <laughs> eyes. He's so demonic. And I'm like, leading up to the Trump election, Trump was way more despicable. And it's like, you've got to give props to the Republican Party to basically make their party religious i mean it's like it's gonna be no matter undoing, who see, takes that's no yeah that's no the matter who part. takes their position no matter who takes their position of the, the the republican candidate it's like all the republicans assume that is the more moral mm-hmm. that is the more upstanding that's the one whose faith lines up with them well we had Mitt Romney, yeah, and and he was like he was our guy. I mean, it's just insane. Well, see, I think this I mean, is all a good thing. I think Trump has done us all a favor here because it's kind of sped up this that's true. this this it's process. True. So that's kind of the way I look at. It. I, I do have a little bit of a penchant for chaos, to be honest. But <laughs> I do think that's what you you have to have that sometimes. So that means I'm a Trump supporter and I'm in for the shake up and drain the swamp. I'm not saying that political narrative, but as it pertains to the right, right. P- side of politics be infused with Christianity and Christianity being the dominant power structure and having those things fused together. They've been on a, a bad path for a long time. And now it's kind of, you know, it's kind of come to a head because of this. And that, I think that Trump being elected, it, we're just now seeing the first steps of what we can, we'll look back on and identify the, end of a certain era it started right with this election and it's i think we're in the yeah, you know post so post christian era because it's not the morals are gone now from like and that's a good thing i'm glad i've always wanted the politics and the morality and the religion untangled not stacked on top of each other and used as a weapon of authority that's not what it, that's not what i want yeah. so i'm glad well, it gives us a con yeah, it gives us a concrete thing to point at and distinguish ourselves from the, mm-hmm. from from everybody else. Like that's what Trump has done. Is it has mm-hmm. made clear to people, wait a second, I'm not with those people. Like we're supposed to all be together, we're supposed to all be the body of Christ. I'm not with them. Well, so Christian, now where do I go from here? Chris, Chris, how did you get like what I'm uh, trying to put together here too is I guess you were evangelical and then now you're not. Were you a part of that? Tell us a little bit about that. How how'd you get to here? <laughs> well, it's a long story and it passes through um Indianapolis and California and Moscow, but uh I mean my my deconstruction began a long time ago. 
I think um, I would say my crisis, a serious kind of crisis of faith for me personally, began um, in high school around when I was 16 years old. And I read the entire Bible through for the first time. And I kind of couldn't make certain things fit together. I couldn't make myself comfortable with certain things. So um, on one level, if the Bible is supposed to be an errant, you know, how can there be some things that seem contradictory or that we can't resolve? Um, Another level, how could God approve of genocide, you know, in the Old Testament? And it's supposed to be the same God in the New Testament, so I really don't buy a dichotomy between, you know, good God of the New Testament, bad God of the Old Testament. Uh, I started to be disturbed by some of those things. I was going to um, Heritage Christian School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, Our pastor at that time, he also eventually became a Bible teacher at that school, though I didn't have him in class, I went and talked to him. He lived in the same neighborhood, so I just had to kind of walk down the street. And um, he seemed understanding at first that I would have some doubts, and that was okay. And he um, seemed kind of supportive, and he gave me a book of um, apologetics to read. And I don't remember which one it was. It was in a question-and-answer format. It wasn't a famous one. It wasn't yeah. Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel or something like that. I read them, too. Um, but so I read this, this, um, apologetics book and I found the answers that it gave just be too glib. So I went back maybe a week or two later, talked to him again, and he was much less understanding at that point. At that point, it became a situation that I would call spiritual abuse, where he essentially told me I must be, no, he did. He outright told me I must be harboring some kind of sin in my life. That was the yeah. phrasing that, <laughs> right. he, that he used. Right. If my, Wait a minute. You don't agree with genocide? <laughs> Satan's whispering in your ear, Chris. <laughs> If, uh, if my doubts had not been resolved. And yeah, well, he really did very much believe in literal demons. He, he's the kind of guy that will like, spend Halloween praying against demons and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was really scared for a while that, well, maybe I was under the influence of demons because that's what he told me. So yeah. I, um, I tried to eliminate demonic influences in my life. I took a hammer and smashed an Our Lady Peace CD, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which I then bought again no, like, 20, like 20 years later. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I had so much anxiety around this because I was trying so hard to be a good Christian and to make it work. And at the same time, you know, they were, they were telling us that you, you should be seeking truth above all. And truth looked to be pointing me away from the, at least this literalist interpretation of Christianity yeah. that we were getting. I mean, we also got young earth creationist propaganda in science classes in that Christian school. Oh, but worse than that, we got apocalyptic prophecies. Every year, our chemistry and AP biology teacher predicted that the rapture was probably going to happen this year around Yom Kippur. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, there was a time in high school when I also thought I'd probably committed the unpardonable sin, and I had this, like, lump of anxiety in my chest yeah. for a week. And mm-hmm. I, and then I was reading Romans, and I thought, I really can't read this in a non-Calvinist way, but Calvinism is horrible. What if that just means I'm reprobate? And so, you know, all these crises, and they kind of continued through college, and I tried to hold anxiety. on. Anxiety. It gave you anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I tried to hold on. I really didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to cause problems with my family, which I now see is not really a fair way to have to think about it. But I think yeah. you know, many of us, when we um, come out as ex-evangelicals, it alienates our family, or if they see that we're changing our politics or our beliefs, because to them those are the same thing. Right. You know, right. we get made into the black sheep, and so. So Toby, I had to use the bathroom. Is he a Christian? Uh, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> he said he was I'm ambivalent about Jesus. I'm a, I'm so a no. professor. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. I mean, at this point, I identify as um, a nun and agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
kind of think we might be more than the sum of our parts. Maybe there's some kind of spiritual reality that we're connected to, but I prefer um, to reject dogma and what I would just call a state of epistemological humility. Um, so why, think, so why, why did you start your campaign, your, like the campaign then? Uh, uh, cause I think that empty the, the pews, empty the pews campaign, hashtag mm-hmm. empty the pews. Uh, like, do you care for people in the church? Like if you have kind of moved out of that world, why is that, why are you so motivated for that? Like to empty the pews and tell us what that means. Yeah. Well, so first off, I suppose I should say that the way I, fr- I framed empty the pews, which you can read about on religion dispatches and also on my blog, not your mission field at Chris is uh, is not anti-religious, even though it's a kind of radical phrasing, which I think was necessary. Yes. It was a very provocative statement. It's yes. necessary to start a conversation. But the way I always framed it was that uh, it's, it's targeted at toxic churches. It's targeted at toxic, hypocritical, right-wing Christians. Um, and it's a call for people who have maybe been um, kind of on the fence to leave their churches, if they attend a church that's very Trump-supporting or otherwise toxic or abusive. Now, to do so vocally, they can use this hashtag. The hashtag will help their story to get attention, and we can kind of send a message that a lot of Americans, including a lot of, a lot of Christians, um, are not going to just go along with this um, authoritarianism that people like Franklin Graham are preaching. Mm-hmm. So, Empty the Pews uh, came about specifically when... Jerry Falwell Jr. and Robert Jeffress and those guys uh, defended Donald Trump's indefensible comments about Charlottesville and good people on both sides, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I was really upset by that, and so I was writing a thread about that on Twitter, and um, then the hashtag just kind of just came to me in a flash of insight, and I used it in this thread, and then I thought, we could make, we could make this into a thing, maybe. So I started asking people to tell their stories of, of leaving... Uh, evangelicalism or some other kind of fundamentalist Christianity using that hashtag. And I clarified, um, you know, that it's not necessarily a call to leave church altogether. If, if your conscience dictates that you should dissociate yourself from Christianity entirely fine, if your conscience dictates that you should just find a, a healthier version of Christianity, fine too. I'm not you just need to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, right? <laughs> uh, I guess so. I mean, if that works for you, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not prescribing a one-size-fits-all solution. And people really picked up on it. It really resonated. People started telling stories, some of them from the 2016 election or from after the, the Trump election, but many of them also telling their stories from long ago. Well, I left because I was gay and I was not accepted by my family or, or this sort of thing. It's been a very powerful response, and it's had... Uh, remarkable staying power. So at this point, it is a very active protest hashtag. There's multiple new tweets with it per day. Uh, a lot of people you'll find will, will use it in replies to Franklin Graham or Robert Jeffress or Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was very proud of, even though it's not, I mean, I didn't do this. I, it wasn't my idea. But um, soon after I did empty the pews, you know, there was Hurricane Harvey going on in uh Texas, and Joel Osteen was refusing to open the doors of uh, his Lakewood church in Houston to evacuees, even though it was quickly demonstrated that the church was dry and they they had uh, the possibility of letting people in. People could get there. It wasn't flooded. And Joel Osteen became the top search result on Twitter for the Empty the Pews hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) And I I wasn't the first one to tweet it at him. I just saw it was happening, but I was so proud of that. So people use it now regularly to protest hypocrites like him. 
Yes. Um, but they also still use it to tell stories. And so it, it, it gets attention. And the original idea was that basically there's no, there, you can't really argue with the fundamentalists. You can't argue with most conservative evangelicals. They simply will not listen. They deflect. They do, they engage in whataboutism. Um, but I, I had the thought that, well, they are all very concerned about the youth and they're concerned about church attendance numbers. So what if they could see that they're causing people to leave? Yeah, that's that's that cool. was the. Th- Let, can was can the we zero in on the nuance of that because I love it so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> on one hand, it's it gives you that vibe of uh, of like you said, off on the surface, everybody that says empty the pews. Everybody's looking for some things to be simple, and these are I'm not saying they're dumb people, but they're dumb people, and they <laughs> they see that tag, and they go, oh, anti Christian, and enemy you're whoever uses that hashtag is an enemy because uh, uh, who knows but there's a subtlety there that is more important and those are the people that you're trying to talk to that understand stuff that are in your world anyway so it's almost like a covert signal if you can understand what empty the pews means and that it's nuanced and it's not anti necessarily even anti jesus or god or anything like that but Mm -hmm. we're trying to Mm -hmm. do the hard work of separating these institutions from faith from individuals from all this stuff now we're cooking and we just need more people to understand that and there's more people waking up every day to that and something else you talked about in there i mean that, that happens all the time with the bad christian label or post-christian label or ex-evangelical that all sounds like mm-hmm. negative stuff if what you want is the big power structure to remain the same or sure you're one of the and brave just, people really, that can go out there and start to do, you know mix it up a little bit and figure out what's real i think that's why i really like the bad christian branding uh, I, I like the way it gets it gets your attention with the same sort of thing. Because if Franklin Graham is a good Christian, I don't want to be That's a good right. Christian. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, Joey hashtags, not, I'm not that. He actually made that up. I don't know if it's called on or anything. I think that's great. It's kind of nondescript. And it's not it's not that aggressive. It's just saying, look, I'm not that. It certainly applies to a Joel Osteen or a Falwell Jr. But let, let what I'm really interested in in your article is the pushback you had for Jesse Hess. How do you say his last name? Do you know? Oh, Josiah Hesse. Josiah Hesse. Yeah. I'm sorry. Josiah Hesse. I'm confused. Com- conflating his first and last name but um because i liked his article and then your article was even more subtle and nuanced than that and the part that stood out the most to me is the part where you're saying that it's harder than just branding and saying the name now is ex-evangelical but you have to and i can't articulate so i want you to articulate it back what is the point there that's that you even if you left the movement you still have to do the hard work of you know, I'm tongue-tied there, but articulate that for me because I thought it was brilliant when I read it, but I can't even say it back. Uh, thanks. Yeah, well, you know, remember how uh, in the 1990s there was all this rhetoric about, um, well, there, there was the idea that maybe maybe religion was turning people off. So let's say, oh, Christianity is different. It's not a religion. It's a relationship or whatever. You know, there's all this there's this kind of rebranding mm-hmm. that happening. We are the church. It's not a building, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, slogans, they, they do them. And I think that maybe some people now are dropping the term evangelical simply because it has bad PR, but they haven't really changed any of the beliefs that contribute to the toxic politics mm-hmm. of evangelicalism. Um, so that was the phenomenon that Josiah really wanted to get at in that article. And he, he contacted me, interviewed me about it. And I think what emerged from that was a kind of unfortunate conflation of people just dropping the label for whatever reasons. And the, some of them are people that I admire. So, you know, I admire Tony Campolo. I admire Bas Chivijan. But um, I don't think that they are ex-evangelicals in the sense that people in the, in the movement who have been identifying mm-hmm. with that are. Um, and I think a lot of other people may be dropping the term for much more 
sort of cynical or pragmatic reasons. And so um, what I'd hope to see in that article would be for uh, Josiah to, to show that there might be, these could be overlapping things, but they're not the same thing, right? That there's this ex-evangelical community, there are people who have been rallying around that term, uh, who in most cases have gone through serious reconstruction, changed at least some beliefs. Some of them are still Christians, but some of them are not. That article left me with the impression that you can be an ex-evangelical just by deciding that you don't want to have the term be associated with the term evangelical mm-hmm. anymore. So all ex-evangelicals pretty much would be Christians, and many of them could have very conservative beliefs. And so that's, so that's is what, that lazy in your view? Just oh, you're just being lazy, saying, "Well, I don't want the bad PR from you know Falwell, so I'll just say I'm ex-evangelical, but I'm still part of the same stu- system." Oh, I think it's worse than lazy. I think it's slippery. I think it's deliberately slippery. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these people who are just saying I'm not an evangelical anymore, like Tony and Boz are, um, I don't think they even use the term ex-evangelical, but Mm -hmm. in that article, those terms got inflated. And so that was the one thing that bothered me about it. And I felt it was necessary to write a a response there because I was definitely trying to indicate to Josiah that, um, yes, I have seen people running away from the term evangelical after the election, but there are different I mean, there are different things that that means for different people. You, some people just want to distance themselves from a label. Some people are making yeah. very substantive mm-hmm. change that maybe has been some time coming. And it's the more substantive change, whether you stay in Christianity or you disaffiliate from organized religion or you go to a different religion, that makes you, I think, an ex-evangelical. And uh, to kind of get back to your whole t- the question you asked at the beginning, I never really did address about the term post-Christian um, oh, sorry. It's an interesting. It's an interesting. No, I mean, that's, I think we've been having. I've, I've been enjoying this chat anyway. Hope that you all are. But um, well, we tend to overstack a bunch of questions, <laughs> couched with five or six opinions and three questions, and of course, that's not a good idea. But no, so, thank you for circling back. No, it's fine. That's usually how like uh, academic conferences work too. So I'm good with that. But um, that term to me carries some sort of baggage because a lot of the people who use it use it in a kind of alarmist way, like you know, oh my God, America is post-Christian now. This is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. So for me, I'm kind of ambivalent about that term because of the way it's been used before. You know, it's, it's using that kind of rhetoric where evangelicals say, well, we've lost the culture. What do we do now? Uh, that's, where I've mostly <laughs> seen, that's where I've mostly seen the term post-Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know. Wait what a second. About. So it really <laughs> sucks to be evan- evangelicals right now because we lost. <laughs> Right, that's right. Like, but what I, we're that, trying to do. But what's so bad about that? Like that's country, that's okay. But... Is where I'm at. You know, like I get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but um, as I was saying, I really do like the bad Christian branding precisely because mm-hmm. it's so provocative. And then when you think about it in a nuanced way, um, it's clear. You know, you dissociate. It dissociates you from if people like Jerry Falwell and Franklin Graham. If they're good Christians, yeah. I don't. I don't want to mm-hmm. be a good Christian. <laughs> do you think? That like from your perspective, and I know that you're looking through a different context than us because we, all three of us would consider ourselves a part of the church. If I were to say, oh yeah, those are those are my brothers and sisters, I disagree with them, but I'm still a part of the same body. Would that be a frustrating statement for you to hear? Like, do you think there should be a more aggressive approach? And let me let me let me say it this way: How important is it? that we draw a line in the sand and stand on the other side of that line. Hmm. Vocally, like making sure people know, hey, you know me as a Christian, but I'm not like those people. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not one to to use the term fake Christians to apply to evangelicals or conservative Christians. I don't 
like that term um, because I don't think that it's accurate from a, from the point of view of history or sociology or anthropology. Because um, you know, you you look at evangelicals and they have a um, kind of intense kind of religious practice. They read the Bible regularly. They have their morning quiet times. They go to church. They take notes on the sermon. I mean, that's that's a Christian community from mm-hmm. an empirical point of view. So whether people want to be in uh, this church, I mean, I, I think I think that at least when we talk about the empirical church, you do have to recognize the good and the bad in there, I guess is what, what I would say. Um, so I'd say, you know, call Trump-supporting Christians um, toxic Christians or right-wing Christians or Christians you don't agree with, but I would say you don't, don't call them not Christians. I mean, that's the way that I think about it now as someone who decided to disaffiliate altogether. And again, I don't prescribe a one-size-fits-all solution for people. So I think yeah. everybody settles these questions for themselves. And I decided I'm not comfortable being in, uh, in a big tent that uh, would include a lot of people who would want no part of me in that big tent. Yeah. You know, then fine. I don't need, I don't need to claim to be in that club. But other people would think differently, well, the, and that's okay. The whole thing of overlap is something we've not been comfortable with in the past. Like it, we, we've, we're humans are very heavy on being in groups that have lines, and if you're in a group, you kind of want those lines to be clear. That's most people's fundamental feeling. Is like, well, if I am a Republican, or if I am a rich person, or if I'm a this, I kind of want those borders to be clear, just so we all know who's who. But that's not healthy mm-hmm. necessarily. So as society expands, we can have looser things there and more overlapping Venn diagrams. And that is exciting to me. Again, that's a little more chaotic, but it's better. It's more Mm -hmm. fun. It's more true. It (laughs) treats people better. So uh, there's some sense when Jerry Falwell Jr. and I are very, very close. Like we're both humans in America in this time. And I bet we agree on a ton of stuff. So it's not like, you know, compared to all humans in all history and all corners of the globe right now, I guess. You know, depending on how, uh, what the resolution you'd want to use is, you could put me and you and Jerry Falwell Jr. all in the same ca- some category that which we could accept. You know, but but as breathing, but as you narrow it down further, you you know the thing the lines become blurrier and well he's not this and he's that and Joey and, and Jerry Falwell are this but Chris is not and now you know that's 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 the nuance of life that that is okay. Yeah, sure. And of course, you know, in a in any modern state, under conditions of globalization, we've got such diverse populations now, and under conditions of modernization, uh, people have many different religious points of view. We have to we have to somehow manage a practice of pluralism, where different kinds of people can come together mm-hmm. and participate in our democratic society and tolerate one another. But Obviously, the problem for that comes when you have certain groups that reject pluralism and reject democratic norms. And it seems to me that um, evangelical Trump support is a pretty strong indicator that most white evangelicals are not really accepting of pluralism. They can't imagine a society where they and members of the LGBT community can have the same rights, where they and Muslims can have the same rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is a serious problem for for democracy. Because I agree, you know... We have to find a way that we can all live together with very with very different points of view, and we want to find those areas of common ground as well. But what do you do when you have a group with the, that amasses vast political power that doesn't actually care about accommodating members of other groups? Well, that's not the point of democracy: is to amass <laughs> these large groups with unified, you know, thoughts on life, and then have them battle it out to see who's completely dominant. 
over the other. Right. That's not I, the point I mean, of democracy. democracy. That's not how that's supposed to work. should not be about domination. Right. Yeah, so now I when agree. some other po- group gains power, now they're in charge. Okay. Well, this is not, that's not the point of this system. And, you know, the people that want Sharia law or the ultra-conservative fundamentalist Christians are seem to be among the most guilty of wanting very uh, – they want a lot of power and very firm lines about who's in and who's out and who's the other. So – yeah, I, although I think, I think people true. on the left are yeah. getting real bad about that too, I'd have to say. There certainly is some some tribalism mm-hmm. on on the far left. I mean, um, if you want to break it down in terms of co- voting coalitions or the two party system, I'd say that people in the Democratic Party right now are that represent a much more diverse range of views and a much greater acceptance of pluralism than people in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously it's much more it's a much less white party, um, and that's that's a problem when you got two such mismatched parties in a two-party system um but sure i mean you are having a lot of infighting on the left as well you're having a lot of um visibility for green party types and burning your busters and Mm -hmm. scandals with the dnc um it's a it's a polarized time do you see it getting worse or better what do you see happening i mean you see a trend here or are we on the end (laughs) of a pendulum swing are we ramping up a trend uh i don't immediately see the mechanisms for how we're going to heal this with the current <laughs> political system that we have. I tend to be pretty pessimistic. So, um, you know, maybe I can agree uh, in a limited capacity with what you said earlier about it being good, at least that Trump brought out serious divisions in the church and among Americans. But I don't credit I do him for being a genius for that or anything, by the way. It's just a oh, accident. No. <laughs> I think he's, uh, he's pretty far from being a genius, yeah. but uh, he does have a knack for manipulation. He's got a natural talent there. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about again? <laughs> that we don't have the mechanisms to, to get it back on track. or not? They're not a problem right. yet. I mean, I kind of worry with, uh, with gerrymandering, with voter suppression, uh, that there's not going to be any mechanisms that would cause a realignment or a kind of reformation within the Republican Party to get us back to more functional politics. And as long as we are stuck with minority rule, which is what we have now. I mean, we, what we have is a situation where the far right wing people, uh, predominantly the Christian right um, and the billionaires have stolen disproportionate power, essentially. They've used, they've used the system in ways that undermine democracy, democratic norms. They have disproportionate power. The longer they, they keep it, I think the more polarized our society is going to become, or at least it's not going to get less polarized. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm a little bit encouraged after um, the recent election results that maybe despite gerrymandering and voter suppression, 2018 could get us back to a situation with divided government could mitigate, uh, the, the damage of the Trump presidency and, um, maybe could lead to a sort of reform where Republicans would say, okay, we can't just represent the interests of conservative white Christians anymore. We actually have to become a different party. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. Well, that's the problem is we're then, you know, obviously the I'm for taking down the power structures and the right wing and the moralistic and the moral authority and the, some of the stuff in that thing. It's just there's so many of us that are like, yeah, but I don't want to replace it with that kooky left stuff that obviously is right. fundamentally flawed too. I, like, and like, that's where like we're for all sure, like, like, well, that's what I was about to say is like if, if Hillary would have won – we would still have so much polarization. It would still be awful and uncomfortable. And you would hear it, there would be so much. And there would be people on one side saying America is screwed. Same way with Obama. That's what was so funny. I was uh, 
you know, people will post like when it was Halloween, they showed how Obama was with kids on Halloween and how Trump is with kids. And and it wasn't even that Trump was the most horrible person. It just felt stiff or whatever. And I was like, it's so crazy. Uh, Like for all you, whatever you think about Obama out there, uh, he took so much shit and never tweeted about or anything. Like right now, our (laughs) our president, like uh, here's what's crazy. He could just handle it all. Like you felt like Obama could handle it. Even if you disagreed with everything about his presidency, whatever you you figured he could handle your disagreement, like you at least respected him enough to talk shit about him and know he wouldn't. It was, he's going to handle it in a in a good way. This he was president, so collected and yes, dignified, right? It's it's crazy. <laughs> like I, I've said this a million times. If Obama would have just been a Republican. Everybody would have said he was the greatest president in the history of the world. I mean, almost. I, I mean, almost. You couldn't, That's very funny. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. except really, for the liberals. Like, the like liberals I actually, wouldn't. Well, the li- you're, well, you're right in a sense, uh, uh, in some ways, but especially being still, he would have been our first, uh, you know, black American president. There, there were several things, and so I, I'm just saying, I think, because I mean, right now there are people that are thinking that Donald Trump like might be our greatest president ever, like just crazy thoughts they're having but we live in a time where literally like the, the other thing i will say about it which is really interesting and why i do think it's so polarized though i was i was looking at donald trump's twitter and i i went through and looked at uh, obama's twitter and when he actually did the twitter he would do a little b at the end or whatever i don't know if y'all knew that and I, I didn't even know it but um so you're like well maybe talk but it's almost never or whatever but right now our president you know exactly how who he is, where yeah. he is, I what he's saying, that. all this stuff. Like, what? A, there's part of me, yeah, that I'm like, well, shit, that really is Donald Trump. It's this amazing. isn't a group of people yeah. trying to say something or manipulate. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you have the real guy. So, yeah. if he can be that her, silly, horrific, awful, crazy, or whatever, then what if we get a good president that really is honest? Even you know, That's like they might be, point, they, they might they might tweet <laughs> good things. I they might totally you know agree. unify us and all that stuff. Like that would be something because the problem with politics before Donald Trump was you it's this committee and you don't know what they're really doing and it's a little what is this and mm-hmm. is it real? The same way with you know I, I, I see that in church too. You can't tell everybody the whole truth or what are we actually doing? Where's my money going? All this stuff. So maybe because Donald Trump, like we just took a dive so far that everybody's like, well, who you know any like. Now anybody can literally be president. Like you really can. Be. I mean, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have any political experience. You don't have to have anything. Like I mean, you just yeah. don't. Well, like well, somebody I mean, can. You know, he did have reality TV. To what you're saying, Empire. Toby? Is it? Yeah, he had reality TV and money, right? For his dad gave him kind of. But <laughs> so you might need a rich dad and some like a. Car- but that means a Kardashian could be ne- the next <laughs> that's president. Right. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that's probably not out of the question. <laughs> that, that's that's my only fear is if everybody's like, well, if Donald Trump is, let's just make you know. But, one of the know, one of the Kardashians. I don't think next. it goes back the other way, though. About- you know, because it's so cool. Like you're right, it is cool that the president now has done something that, in most contexts, you would think was wonderful, which is skip the media, skip the other stuff. He sends you. He figured out he can send Toby and your mom and your mother in law and the guys right. in Texas a direct message that literally just goes up and down the internet, same as if I texted you during this podcast or tweeted at you. Donald Trump is talking right. to the American people directly from his toilet at 3 a.m. That's unbelievably cool. It just he happens to be a yeah. lunatic. It, but if yeah. you want, I, mean, I don't, don't you think I, go, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I think there can be a, there can be a place for decorum, but there's sort of two different. I mean, there, I think there's I think there's two different issues here, and I mean, one might be 
decorum and one might be transparency. Mm-hmm. I don't think Donald Trump really is transparent. In a That's certain a sense, he's, he, in a certain sense, he's transparently him because he says whatever he wants to say. But he also lies all the time, and, and we don't really know what's going on. But you do know his character in, in his because bureaucracy. of that transparency, a, though. That is true, but there's a, but there's there's a, a bad lack character, of transparency. You, you know it. In the, in, the, in the bureaucracy, you know. So I don't know. It's, it, is, it is certainly social media has changed, changed the landscape of. Um, it's wild. And will continue to American do so. So lot. it's not like you're yeah. going yeah. back the other way, is, my, is what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> Toby, going, going right. further into your point, it seems way more likely for the next president to be not near as polarizing. Like it seems like over time, we could possibly become less and less polarized because if the next president is uh, a Democrat, but a lot less, or, or no, let's let's put it this way. If if the next uh, president is a Republican, but a lot less like Trump, the Democrats are going to be like, oh, wow, this this isn't that bad. Who knows? Because I mean, Trump is, uh, is just despicable. It's, it's probably lowest of all the lows. So it seems like we could possibly be entering a season of less polarization. Maybe uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Maybe so. I, I I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting next several years for sure. I, I I would even bet money that Trump wants to get out maybe in four years. You know, like I I could I could even see that. Like he did it, and now he wants to do something else or whatever. So I I don't know what it's going to look like. But Chris, we really do appreciate you coming on, man, and enlighten us a little bit and uh, tell everybody where they can find you and uh, what anything you want them to do. Give give us a little bit of info before we yeah. Get tell us how to use that hashtag uh, effectively. You yeah. use empty the pews if you what. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you can find a lot of my stuff um, at my blog, not your mission field, which is at chrisstroop.com. I've also contributed frequently to religion dispatches. I've got some stuff at other outlets as well. And regarding the hashtag empty the pews, um, if you can use it in, 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 I guess, at least two ways at this point. And the sort of the two main ways, I think, one would be to tell your story of deconstruction from toxic Christianity. You know, whether you went to a different Christian church and you feel like it's healthy now, or you disaffiliated altogether, uh, it can be very powerful to 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 give reasons using that hashtag for why you got alienated from evangelicalism or Mormonism or conservative Catholicism. And it's also regularly used as a hashtag protest. So if you just want to yell at Franklin Graham and you want people to see it, uh, the hashtag will help people to find it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did have one That's more thing. Perfect. I'm sorry. That, that uh, I was really curious about is I think you said the guy that has the ex-evangelical podcast, his name's Chris. What is his name? Oh, his name is Blake Chastain. Blake Chastain, yeah. So he said that in there that he's actually applied for a copyright of the term ex-evangelical. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, he's applied, he's applied for a registered trademark a registered just trademark. because um, just because that's his brand that he used for his podcast mm-hmm. and website, and he might possibly eventually have some merchandising with that or something. But I was curious, he, what does that mean? Like, there was a line in there about how others could or should or shouldn't use it. Like, is that, do we want to mm-hmm. grow that, like, with everybody? And how does, how do these, and even a hashtag, I mean, nobody owns it. I don't know if you came up with, we. I mean, right. empty the pews, but how does, how do we do this going forward? Sure. I mean, you put something out in the world, you can't totally control mm-hmm. how it's used. And I think the issue of ex- ex-evangelical as a, a trademark is different from the kinds of terms that people identify themselves with. And ex-evangelical is, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a sort of portmanteau, or I guess more of it's just an abbreviated or contracted form of ex-evangelical, mm-hmm. but it sounds cool. And I mean, Blake, of course, he doesn't mind if people want to use 
the hashtag or the term for themselves. Like he would like it if we his, started using podcast. that, for instance, though. He, as, as far as he's concerned, I think you'd be welcome to call yourselves ex-evangelicals if you like the term. So as an identity, he's totally fine with that. He doesn't want other people selling merchandise sure. or something sure. With, sure. with the term. Yeah. Um, I tend to use ex-evangelical as a hashtag as well to just try to get people's attention. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the ex-evangelical podcast or show. But more often, I use the term ex-evangelical. Um, but yeah, Blake's show is all about stories of people's deconstruction. And you make sure to get a very diverse group of guests in terms of race and gender and different experiences of evangelicalism. And so it's just a, it's a long-form podcast that people can listen to uh, where they have very intimate discussions about some people's evangelical backgrounds, how they got alienated from them, how they left. And he's also got a pretty good balance in there of people who remained uh, Christians of some sort and people who have disaffiliated. Uh, so Blake has done, um, he's made a lot of good effort to help build the ex-evangelical community. He's a friend of mine. I really appreciate his work on that. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you Perfect. again, Chris, for for coming on the show today. We really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll keep we'll keep in touch and do some stuff in the future because I enjoyed this conversation very much. Great. Thanks, guys. I did too. It's been great to be on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, dude. Okay. Take care. See you, Chris. Right. See ya. Chris Stroop. Very good. The us and them mentality. I don't. I don't know if Christians can escape that as long as they believe in two different places to be for eternity. If you I mean think think about it. That's why we think us and them because eternity is a very long time and if there's somebody that we know and we know that they don't, you know, believe in the same savior that we believe would give us eternal life, I think at that point there's no way to see them as as us. what? What do you mean as us? As human, as friends, so, as neighbors, so as what? At what can you not uh, believers see them as? and unbelievers? Believers and unbelievers. Yeah, but so but that's what's all the I'm difference in that? Bald people, and people with hair. Why? What's? I mean, yeah. Okay, so you're bald. I mean, what? What's? Well, what do you need to do once you realize there's a different attribute of a different person than you? Now you you can no, identify that. Now what? No, I I agree with you. What I'm saying is Christians take it a step further, and I don't know if we can keep ourselves from doing so. The people that are going to be at a different place forever and ever and ever, and we're never going to see them again, and they're going to be in pain forever and ever and ever, and then I'm going in a different place. How do we not have... And, and the reason why I bring this up is uh, Pete Inns talks about it. Chris uh, just talked about it. Like Our minds have been crafted in a way of we think Christians and everybody else, and that that's been very detrimental to me. Like that has been a very unhealthy approach to life, but I don't know if there's any other way of looking at it. Well, well the thing with, that with eternity understand. in the mix, well, deal with that in eternity. What does that have to do with right now? I mean, I understand eternity matters, but what does it matter how you interact or treat somebody now exactly? Other than the, the idea that you want to convert them. Yes. The latter, mm-hmm. the latter for sure. I mean, almost like, why does this relationship even matter if they're not a Christian? They're going to be gone forever. Yeah, it's but just, I don't know. I mean, look, if you, I don't know. It's not that different than being vegan and eating meat. Like, you, if you are vegan, you believe it is better, and you would like other people to do what you do. And and if you don't believe in eternity, you only got another 40 years with this people, and so the consequences are serious. 
But, I mean, yeah. you can't just say, well, since I believe in eternity, that gives me license to include, exclude, draw hard lines, not interact, but all that stuff. No, I, I agree. I agree. But it's hard not to see them in a certain light. And then you take Calvinism a step further, and it's like, no, there is an us and them. <laughs> I mean, we're the oh, yeah, ones right, that right. God handpicked <laughs> because our his blessings are upon yeah. us. Well, I mean, that is a <clears throat> sorry to cut it short here, but we are running out of time. We got a bunch. No, that of is stuff okay. And I want to make a, a a super important announcement that Bryant and Sarah they now have the same last name, which is Winters. They didn't have the same last name going into the BC Club, but now. They are a married couple. Yes, that's right, folks. You have heard it here that a BC Club couple has been formed. It's Mr. and Mrs. Bryant and Sarah Winters. And they met in the club? Yes, uh, they met in the club, and we want to congratulate y'all. That is actually very awesome. Uh, but don't forget, marriage is really hard, and you're not going to feel like you're in love here yep. in, I don't well, know, year like seven two, months. Yeah, right. But, yeah. Um, and then for those of you that are thinking about joining the club, let me give you about 12 reasons to join it. And the first one is Joe Pellerito, Mitchell Sastarich, Trenton Worsham, Michael E. Burton, Grace Telifero, Linda Just Trying to Make It, Ekpo, Brian Manier, Ben White, Dylan Cobringer, in parentheses, Delon. And then Drew Peacock, these folks went to thebcclub.com. Now they get an extra episode. They get access to cool community and some other gifts. So we do appreciate it. Every single one of you, every single damn one of you, I just want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And I want to tell everybody, too, that... I've actually had some problems with my uh, bowels. Your bowels during this episode. A lot <laughs> of people don't know that. This is just listening. So, Toby so, has literally... Joey had to get up. How many times did you have to get up during the interview? I was three thinking or four if, times. If, if Matt and I weren't here, what would you have done? I was thinking, what would you have done if you had to do this interview by yourself? What would you have told him? Would you just said the truth? Listen, I can't stop shitting. I have to, I have to reschedule the interview? Or what would you have said? Yeah. No, it, for sure. You would, would just say, said that. Hey, I'm sorry, my stomach's too messed Joey, up. Joey, four so Toby times started this off with a. To <laughs> uh, Toby starts off with a, a. Is it a gif or a gif? A gif, gif of is a, cho- a milkshake being made, then a chocolate factory. Then it looks like two testicles pooping in a cat's litter box, <laughs> and then you've got like some sort of peach, orangeish yogurt, then two espressos. It's being just chocolate made. ice cream coming out of the machine. We've been exchanging animated gifs of poop-like things. Throughout the, the entire, entire Chris Troop conversation is the point. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> it's kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> well, oh. Joey, you were shitting during it. Yeah, so no, I can't you, send a yeah, shit. You mad at me for a gif? Yeah, you're mad at me because you were shitting during Chris Troop interview, but I sent a gif during the interview and I'm the bad guy. <laughs> no, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> Classic Emery emo love song, The Ponytail Parades. Guys, we've got a new single available right now on Spotify, The Ponytail Parades Reimagined. 
And if you didn't think we could do this song any better than we did, you got to check out this version. It just came out beautifully. You're going to fall in love with that special someone all over again. Don't forget, November 17th, full album Revival Classics Reimagined will be available on Spotify and anywhere that you listen to music. Put the kids to bed. It's time to reignite that flame. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.